0: Hi, my name's Allie. I am an alcoholic. Uh, Can everybody hear me okay? Sweet. Um, I have uh, been trying to figure out what to talk about, and it was advised that I just talk about my story. And, um, you know, I kind of feel weird about it because I feel like I've shared at least half a dozen times, not just in this particular meeting or even very recently uh it's been at least a year since the last time i shared but i just didn't really know you know what to talk about and so every time i talk i just feel like i've repeated the same story and i just wonder how many times i can tell the same story and people are still interested <laughs> um but i do believe there's a few people here who haven't heard what i have to say so um I took some time to organize uh, specific memories and thoughts to just try to keep myself on track because I do tend to ramble and um, I'll try to make it make it make sense. (laughs) So a little bit about me. Oh, also, I need to side note. If you see me look over to the side, I am watching my baby on the monitor, so If I have to jump up, that's a thing. Anyway, so um, a few things about me. I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety, and PTSD. So I have a lot of dual diagnoses that I have to manage on top of my alcoholism. Um, I haven't always been good at it. And I have struggled a lot to get some kind of normalcy <laughs> so um, uh, I, I wasn't I, I didn't start out how many people say oh I've been drinking since I was 14 that that wasn't me I didn't start drinking until I was an adult Um, and I wasn't always an alcoholic I had a fine time drinking for a little while and it wasn't destructive in my life it was fun and I had a good time or whatever but you know that's not how things always stay. Um, I began using drinking to cope. Uh, I don't really know what year I started doing that, but um, I had a lot of issues that I was trying to uh, block out because of the traumatic experiences I have had Um I suppose maybe this is the part where I should attach a trigger warning for anybody who is sensitive. Um, uh, I went through some sexual abuse when I was a child. And it happened from the time I was four years old until I was 12. So it was a, a big thing that I had to deal with for a long time and still have to deal with it unfortunately, as part of who I am. Um, So my position was unique in that I was being told I had to accept responsibility for my addiction, even though I was a victim. And I felt like while I was trying to get better, I was entering a program that was telling me I had to be accountable to actions and choices as if if something awful hadn't happened to me. Um, It felt like another attack. I very quickly shut down uh, the concept of going to traditional AA because I just didn't feel how the program could work for me. Um, it, It especially didn't feel fair that I had gone through so much And now that I had this addiction, I had to deal with the abuse and the addiction. And all I could think about was just how much I hated my abuser for making me go through what I perceived as him wreaking more havoc on my life yet again. So I reached out to my therapist and under her approval And with her advice and guidance, I outed my abuser to our family because he was a family member. And after everything I'd gone through, I thought like this was the end. This was the end of the hard stuff. This was going to be the beginning of things getting better for me. But I, it it was just the beginning of the bad stuff, honestly. It was just the beginning of how hard stuff was going to get and I don't really know what I expected, but what I got was super off the charts bizarre. Um, My aunt told me to stay away from her family. My grandmother told me that some things are just meant to stay in the family. Um, I wasn't asking for a lot. I wasn't asking them to choose sides even. All I wanted was to not be invited to places where he was going to be. I had to stay away from him. That's the end of it. I just had to stay away from him. And um, don't get me wrong, I wanted them to choose my side. But I never once posed that to anybody, asking them to choose me over him. But they... They treated me like I was the bad guy. Like I was the one that had done that. They, every bit of victim shamed me. They treated me like I was some kind of plague or disease on their family. Um, My aunt told me that she believed my addiction had caused me to fabricate memories. My grandmother was an RN who had retired from a mental health facility. And she told me that it was no doctor's business what happened in my family and that I shouldn't take her advice. I just wanted them to understand that me choosing to be, to not be around him anymore was a step towards trying to recover. Not just the bad stuff that I had gone through, but my addiction. I needed to get a hold of that. And As a result, I wasn't in the beginning stages of embracing the fact that I was an alcoholic. And then it was like, that's just Allie. She's the alcoholic of the family. Nobody really cares. She needs to, she just causes problems. Like it it just wasn't, I was never embraced in recovery. I was, and the fact that I had admitted that I had a problem made it so that they were allowed to use it against me my my grandmother herself has a drinking problem that nobody addresses and everybody pretends is fine (laughs) um she was sober for more than 20 years but now she's not and she says that her doctor tells her that she should drink a beer a day for her kidneys but I wonder if she told her doctor that she was an alcoholic right so I just I don't know anyway so I removed myself from the picture. Um, I detoxed myself for the 800th time. I got myself sober on June 1st of 2018. Um, I got married on June 1st of 2019. So one year later, I got married to the man that I'd been with for like eight years at that point. Um, so he'd been along for the whole ride. Uh, so anyway, my cousin slash best friend um, was also going to be getting married in 2019. And he had gone above and beyond for everything to do with my wedding. And I felt a really true obligation to return the favor. He was my best friend. He still is. He's my very best friend in this whole world he wanted me to be at his wedding of course my aunt who is his mom was going to be there our grandmother was going to be there and my abuser was going to be there and I wanted to be there for him and I wanted to be a part of the day I didn't want to feel like I was missing out on more stuff um so he asked me if I would be willing to try to reach out and try to repair the bridges that I had burned. And this is a key lesson for me. It's true that out of respect for me and what, I've, what I had been through, that maybe he shouldn't have asked me to do that. But more than that, I should have had enough self-respect to say no. But I didn't. I said yes. I reached out to these people. I reached out to my aunt. I tried to repair things. I wrote her a letter. I sat down with her on my cousin's couch. And I read the letter to her. And I told her that I was so desperate to stop the dysfunctional train that we were on. And the only way that I knew how to stop it was to blow up the tracks. (laughs) So that's what I did. I I blew it all up. I, I set fire to it. And I was taking accountability for that with my head held high. And if she would have me, I was willing to rebuild the tracks with her. And she graced me with the acceptance of my apology. (laughs) And she lied to my fucking face. Uh, She was talking shit about me as soon as I left. Um, I had done the hard part, though. I, I just wanted to play nice to get through this wedding. And so that's what I did. I... Um, I, I played nice for this wedding and I, I, I just, the, the, the point is I didn't have the strength, the respect for myself, my space, or my recovery to just say, no, I should not have gone to that wedding. And I relapsed. I wasn't drunk at the wedding, but I was hungover. (laughs) Um, that was in October of 2019. So I had just over a year sober. I was spiraling and doing pretty bad in general for about a year. I realized that I was going to lose it all again. My job, my house, my truck. I was looking at a divorce. The pandemic was happening. I went on a three-day bender. Uh, when I came out of it, I realized that I had no-called, no show to work for the past two days in a row. I knew I was looking at getting fired. <laughs> so... I I just, I knew that I had to stop. I I was, I I was just yet again, letting alcohol do this thing where I worked so hard to fix everything and make it all better. And it was just taking it all away again. Again, I was letting it. It was just slipping right out of my fingers. It was just, it was just going and I couldn't, I had to do something. Um, The truth of it all was that I wasn't capable of stopping on my own. I knew that I would have to make the most radical change that I could think of if I stood any chance of making out making it out of addiction alive. And so I decided to go to rehab. Truthfully, I was in a very very vulnerable state. I was emotional emotionally brittle. I, my mom was familiar and friendly with my immediate supervisor at work um because she had visited me there a few times and so I asked her to call my supervisor and to tell him that I had relapsed and that I was going to rehab but I needed to know if there was any chance of saving my job before I went so that I could make necessary arrangements and my supervisor told my mom that it was possible but that I was going to have to call and speak to the owner of the company myself. So after calling three local facilities with no availability, I reached out to my therapist and I told her that I needed to get into a rehab facility right now. And I mean, when I called her, I was just in pure hysterics. I was crying. I was just, I was not in a good way. (laughs) Um, I told her I needed to detox, uh, I needed her help finding a bed. So she called one of the local facilities that I hadn't thought of, and we can attribute that to alcohol fog, I don't know. Uh, They had a bed for me, but I had to be there by 2 p.m. and it was 12.45. I was 15 minutes away from my house and I was 30 minutes away from the facility. So I needed to go home, pack my clothes, say goodbye to my husband for what was potentially going to be the last time that I talked to him because he was so sick of being on this ride with me. And I don't blame him. I asked my cousin to take me to the house and he agreed. So we went there and I packed my suitcase and I woke up my husband because he was asleep for work and told him I was leaving for rehab. And then my cousin and I left while we were on the way to the facility i called the owner of the company that i worked for and i told him okay so i i was at a distinct advantage here because when i had interviewed for this position he asked me to tell him something that I was proud of accomplishing in my life. And I asked him if I could have a moment to think about it. And he said, yes, of course. So I thought for a second, and I just took a leap of faith. And I was like, you know what, the thing that I'm proudest of right now for accomplishing in my life is the fact that I am one year sober as of lately at the time I was. And um, I'm very proud of that. And he took it in stride and said, congrats that it takes a lot of courage to change your life. And then I received my offer letter shortly after the interview. So fast forward, I'm calling the same person to tell him that I had relapsed and that I was going to rehab and that I really hoped he would consider allowing me to keep my position with the company. And (laughs) he answered the phone. He was immediately like, concerned for my well-being not asking is it not accusatory rather not interrogating genuinely concerned for me and he was glad to hear that I was okay and I said John his name's not John but I'm gonna call him John John I'm on my way to a rehab facility to do a detox." And to check out what other programs I can get involved in while I'm there. And I would, it would really go a long way towards my peace of mind. If I could know whether or not you're interested in continuing me and continuing to allow me to work for this company. And he told me about how he is also a recovering alcoholic and how he had 30 years in recovery and how he absolutely did not want me to spend five more seconds thinking about whether or not I was still going to have a job. He told me to stop worrying about that. He told me to go in here, go to this facility, spend a few days getting better, and to call him back once I figured out some sort of plan that I wanted to do and we could discuss it on the back end. So I walked into rehab on November 25th of 2020. I'd never been so scared of anything in my life at that point. I had worked for mental health facilities. I knew how the system worked. I was terrified of being institutionalized. I thought once I walked in, they were gonna lock the doors and they wouldn't let me back out. I thought if they could spend five minutes figuring out what the fuck was going on in my head, that they would realize how crazy I actually am and that I didn't need to be on the other side of the key. Every doorway I walked through, I got farther and farther from the exit and I had more and more anxiety and claustrophobia. I felt so much panic and sadness. The fight or flight response was so real. I had heart palpitations. Anytime someone looked at me, I started crying. I thought the first night would be the worst. The nausea, the shakes were so bad. But by the second night, my skin was crawling all over. And every single time I fell asleep, I woke up with my clothes and my bed sheets completely drenched from cold sweats. It was approximately 24 degrees in my room. And my bed was next to the AC unit. I took four showers each night for three nights in a row. And each time I'd have to walk all the way down the hall to the nurse's desk and ask for more clothes and sheets. And I'd bring all the old ones up. And in my mind, I had to prove to them that I was actually sweating that much. (laughs) But they believed me. It was just their policy not to have extra sheets in the room. (laughs) I thought that they'd keep me forever because obviously only a lunatic thinks they need four showers in one night. I felt like shit and I was trying so hard to just keep myself. Keep to myself and not get close to anyone or have anyone recognize me. My husband called me on the second night. Another patient picked up the phone. They answered and hollered, is there an Allie Smith here? My last name's not Smith. My last name is actually quite distinguishable. And um, I, it was just awesome that he had yelled my name down the hallway for everybody to hear. There was a person there that recognized my name and he knew who i was and he knew who my fa- my husband's family was and he knew everyone i was affiliated with because of that call i was so frustrated i ran into a girl i knew in high school she had become a nurse practitioner and was on the other side of the keys one nurse accidentally gave me extra an extra dose of clonopin and i got the best sleep of my life that night <clears throat> On the third day, I felt like shit, but I was terrified of them keeping me there, so I didn't think uh, keeping me there if i if they didn't think that I was well enough. So I forced down and then later threw up their cafeteria Thanksgiving dinner. And I went to group, even though my head was spinning, and I couldn't understand what they were talking about most of the time. I sat in the common room and pretended to watch TV and tried to read and read books but it was just like looking at pages and i talked to people i didn't know and never saw again and at meals i sat with the dude who hollered my name from the phone and the dude who recognized my last name and then 5 days later i walked out and my husband picked me up i was sober but i still had a long way to go i wanted to work a rehab program but i didn't want to stay in a facility i wanted to be i wanted it to be as authentic as possible So that night that I got out of detox, I drove nine hours to go stay with my mom in Savannah, Georgia. My mom's husband is a registered nurse, so it was a reasonable place to go. Um, My mom worked from home, so I was accounted for 24-7. They locked my keys in their gun safe. This was all at my own request. I asked them to do these things for me, and they did everything in their power to accommodate and facilitate. For my rehab program, I wrote it myself. I, It was my goal to complete five to ten recovery-related activities every day. My list of recovery-related activities included going to AA meetings and smart recovery meetings, reading a chapter in a recovery book, Working a chapter in one of my dual diagnosis workbooks, working a journal entry, going outside in the fenced-in backyard to exercise for at least 15 minutes, practicing or learning a new CBT action, meditating. I went on Phoenix meetings, which are virtual workout classes geared towards persons in recovery, going to therapy, and several other things, several other activities. And each day I wrote down all the things that I wanted to do, including any particular meetings that I needed to go to. And I kept track of all of it every day. I told my stepdad which activities I had done. And since I didn't go to physical meetings or have a sponsor, I decided to start keeping track of my chips. My mom asked me recently where I get my chips because I have quite the collection at this point. Um, so I told her that traditionally people get their chips from their meetings or with their, or from their sponsors. And since I wasn't attending in-person meetings before Ricky and an online place started giving out chips, um, I just got them for myself. I bought the 24 hour through 11 months chip and a set from Amazon. And I got a key ring each month. I change the key, the chip in the key ring and I keep it on, on me wherever I go. And I add the old one to the set. Now I have all of those. I have the ones that Ricky sent me and I have all the ones that I've ordered for the year marks and any special occasions. Like I have a custom 1000 days ship. It's a way for me to take an active role in my recovery. It's silly to most people, but it is just a way to help me be proactive. Um, I'm on year three. I don't. I have an app that tells me how many days I have sober, so I don't have to track it myself, but I can still look at it if I want to. I have constant reminders that of not only that I need to stay sober, but what I have to lose if I don't. I was in rehab in Savannah for 72 days. I don't think it was necessary to follow every single rule as gospel in order to be successful. I honestly think that trying to do that was setting myself up for failure and detrimental to my recovery. But what I do think was necessary was trial and error for what does and doesn't work for me. It's necessary to take an active role in my recovery. It is necessary to remind myself that there are real reasons why I cannot drink. And it works if you work it. And it doesn't if you don't. And while my trauma is not my responsibility, my recovery is. However, more than anything, I've had to learn to prioritize my recovery above all else or everything else in my life will suffer from my addiction. And I had to learn the boundaries for my recovery. I had to simply stop going around my family. I associate with my cousin and my mom and that's it. Um, It makes me sad to think about that, but I'm really proud of every single choice I've had to make along the way. Um, I it, it wasn't just about building a whole new life. It was about building an arsenal of coping strategies that I could fall back on if reality became too much to bear or if for my addiction or for my my diagnoses. They all have to be handled in stride and appropriately. So now, in recovery, My life's totally different. I'm not married to the same guy. Uh, My addiction played a role. In the ending of our relationship. But it wasn't the only factor. And. There came a point. Where it was no longer a healthy relationship. So I had to walk away from it. I'm in a different relationship now. And. And. We have two kids, and Thanksgivings are so hard for me because I'm always thinking about how when I was growing up, my grandmother taught me all the things she knew about how to host and have Thanksgiving dinners. It was a big deal in our family. It was tradition. Everybody came over and, and ate, and it was like 20 people that I grew up with that raised me and i don't talk to any of them anymore it's one of the saddest things i've ever experienced i've they they may or may not have grieved the fact that i was no longer in their life but i had to grieve for the fact that they were all no longer in my life and it's still a learning process <laughs> because these people aren't dead They're still here. (laughs) There's not anything in this world that is worth trading drinking for what I've got going on with my kids, though. And honestly, they they really bring me. I I don't want to say that I stay sober for my kids because they say you shouldn't stay. You shouldn't say you're sober for anyone but yourself. So I try to stay away from that. But I will say that my kids bring so much light to my life that I didn't know I needed. It's been a lot, guys. Uh, I hope that somebody has been able to get something from my story. Thank you all for listening to me. And I really appreciate this.